Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. And welcome back to another episode of Two Girls, One Ship, the podcast where we analyze, rate, and review all that the world of video game romances has to offer. I'm Genesis, the girl who recently had an amazing sex-positive conversation that ended up with me retaking the big BDSM test, and it reaffirmed a lot of what I already knew. I'm Bravada. The girl who's also taking that test, actually. And if you want to know what that was like, it was like when I went to Voodoo Donuts for the first time and I got a glazed donut. So that describes me very well. And when I went to Voodoo with you, I was like, I need cock and balls right now. That's what I need. <laughs> and a Boston cream pie. Mm-hmm. That's not an innuendo for anything. I love you. I love you, too. I love the fact that we're complete opposites on so many different things. With, it just works. Yep. With our powers combined. <laughs> I will whip this world into shape. Mm-hmm. And I'm in charge of aftercare. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, love it. Love you. And if you're new here, welcome to the beautiful chaos. But you should know that our podcast centers on character and romance analysis and doesn't shy away from exploring the fun of fucking. Or from the deep emotional connections built between two characters using specific in-game dialogue. So if you want to stay spoiler free, then this is not the podcast for you. So here's your fucking spoiler alert. Thanks for the spoiler alert, N7. Today is the last episode of 2022. And we decided, why not end with an awesome interview episode? A while back, we had the honor and privilege of interviewing Shayna Moon, an engine producer at the Coalition Studio, and also an honoree of Forbes 30 Under 30 Games List. Mary Kenny was the first interviewee of ours who has also honored on that list. Shana worked at a studio and on a game I think we are all familiar with. She was a producer for narrative and audio on 2018's God of War for Sony Santa Monica. Hmm, so cool. Shana also produced cinematics for God of War Ragnarok, which 
Bravo, entire team at Sony Santa Monica. That game deserved to win Game of the Year, in my opinion. In 2019, she gave a talk at GDC called Shipping Greatness, Practical Lessons from Audio Production on God of War. We tangented in this episode, of course, but it was really amazing to get to hear from a games producer. We hope to have the opportunity to interview many, many more in the future and other roles within video game production as well. Thank you to Shayna for sharing some of their valuable time with us. Without further ado, let's get into the episode. Hello, hello, Shayna, and welcome in. Hi, I'm really excited to be here. We are very excited to have you, courtesy of our mutual acquaintance, the Honorable Mary Kenny. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Mary, Mary moved away to Chicago, but we're still we're still communicating the best way that we know how, which is our Twitter DM. <laughs> Twitter DM it says where it's at. <laughs> yeah, I finally caved and made a Twitter because of this podcast. <laughs> I feel like I have to it, exist on Twitter. It's really remarkable. Um, I get I get teased about it all the time, but like generally, if there's like a woman or a non-binary person in games narrative, I'm probably mutuals with them on twitter already <laughs> it's just you know game developers we we do actually all know each other it seems that way because all of our interviews have been because we we interviewed someone who knew someone and it's awesome well a big a big part of that not to like just jump into it but like a big part of that is just like after a few years people drop out of the industry like the average industry career length is five years and i've been in the industry for six years so like uh, yeah. So when people stick around, you tend to, you know, form like really close friendships and mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty great. I was going to say, I guess before we jump right into it, because I'm ready, I just also want you to have an opportunity to introduce yourself, like your name, your pronouns, your role, your games role, I suppose. <laughs> Anything you feel is pertinent? Sure. So my name is Shana Moon. I've Uh, My pronouns are she, they. I have been, like I said, in the games industry for about six years. I'm a producer. I started out my career at Sony Santa Monica. So I worked on God of War and then God of War Ragnarok as a a narrative producer and then on the original God of War as an audio producer. I was at Unity as as a technical producer, kind of. Don't worry about it. It was tech. the, The titles are weird. I uh, was there for like a year and a half, and now I'm currently uh, engine producer at the Coalition Studio, which is a Xbox studio uh, that has released uh, the, the Gears of War series. So that's where I'm at now. All of those sound amazing. I'd love to know like what each of those different kind of positions do, because I know it's like, well, you say like a producer, and I'm thinking, well, like a movie producer is the person who just like kind of walks through every step of a movie creation. But those are a, a lot of different audio, and now you're in uh, the at the engine. Engine, yeah. So it, it it is very different, and you know, theoretically, as a producer, I I think from like a from like a you know learning standpoint, you should be able to take your skill set to any team and sort of apply it to any discipline. But in reality, it's it's pretty challenging. So producing audio and narrative that that would be what we would refer to as content production. So the content, the creative content that's going to go into the game. And with that, you know, you're working with a bunch of creative types, you're working with animators, you're working, I was working with um, like 
cam digital camera operators and a cinematographer. So in that respect, you know, we were doing casting, we were doing shoots. In that respect, it is kind of very similar to, to movie production. Audio involved a lot of just like talking to every single team and saying like, hey, do you need audio? And then they'd be like, oh, we don't think so. And then like two minutes later, they'd be like, yeah, we, we do. We do need we need audio for the whole thing. And I'd be like, yeah, I know. Uh, and then technical production would be more being a producer working with like engineers specifically. So at Unity, I was working with mostly a team of rendering engineers, so graphics, graphics engineers. And then now at the Coalition, I'm working with engineers that work on basically every aspect of, of Unreal Engine, which is the, the engine that we use. And it's very different because engineers, engineering, you know, it is, it is unique in that a lot of the time, and honestly, most of the time, you are trying to solve problems that no one has ever solved before. You know, we we work with Unreal 5, we're on the cutting edge of that engine, which is really like what drew me there. And it's it's super exciting to be there. Uh, but it was definitely like a, a state of mind change. Like I'm really thankful to the folks that I worked with at Unity uh, for really like guiding me through the process of, of working with such unbelievably talented and intelligent uh, technical folks. I love it. I know that we can't talk about anything that you're currently working on, <laughs> but how pretty is it? Just tell me how pretty those graphics are in that new engine. Oh, man. I mean, if, if you want to see what Unreal is capable of, you can look at the uh, the Matrix Revolutions demo. Uh, oh. The Coalition uh, did, did work on that. Uh, and that thing looks incredible. So I saw that and I was like, why are they showing a trailer for the original movie? What is going on? <laughs> and then I was like, oh, wait a minute. It looks so good. Yeah, it's it's really remarkable just how much technical progress has been made by the games industry that has then gone on to sort of go into other industries. And I think like we've really only seen kind of the beginning of what that sort of like real time rendering technology is going to be capable of in the next, you know, few years, decade. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. I mean, like I'm a lay person, but <laughs> I grew up playing games and I can see how much they've changed just as a player and my day job is i do i'm an instructional systems designer fancy name oh, nice. for making training and um we use unreal engine sometimes and that's something i feel like people don't think about for games i think games is a pastime it's just for fun but it's like especially with engines like unreal that are doing it so amazing it's so accurate that you know like the military can use it to train how to do maintenance on an engine or something because it's so accurate and so detailed. It's really cool that that's going to be the future. Like school could be games someday. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause you just, you just touched on something that I actually, man, the, we, we could do a whole podcast on this, but like the intersection of the games industry and the military is something that I, I really wish that we would do something about because I think it's kind of a it's kind of a toxic relationship. But um, but yeah, no, I think you're right. Like in terms of like learning application and and even like I think the the Da Vinci like surgery robot like that's I'm pretty sure that that's real time rendering, which is just incredible. Mm -hmm. And when I was in school, and now I'm just gonna you know sound like an old person for a minute. Like when I was in school, we were just kind of talking about the applications of that stuff. And that was like, you know, like eight to 10 years ago. And now it, it's here and it's it's being very widely adopted and it's worldwide. And I think that's just fantastic. 
But y'all didn't bring me to talk about that. You brought me here to talk about kissing. <laughs> I'll listen to whatever you want to talk about. But yes, we also would like to talk about digital kissing. <laughs> Specifically, romance and video games. Our first question is a little, it could be deep or it could be a very easy answer for you, I suppose. But what is your favorite video game romance and why? Do you have one? I was thinking about this and I can't I can't lie because people I know know too much about me and how I play these games so I have to be honest and I have to say that like he, he's come up recently uh his name is Cartho Nassi and he's not whiny he's just sad he's just sad that his wife is dead and that his son is missing and also kind of a dick like yeah so I played a bunch of Star Wars games when I was a kid, but those were mostly kind of like Quake and Doom-alike, you know, very combat focused, like maybe a bit of narrative, but all very, very linear. And then I played Night Seal Republic and Night Seal Republic was such a game changer for me. I really like it kind of set me on the path to like really loving and wanting to make video games. But there's just like a bit, if you're playing as a female character and you've like been friendly with Karth, where all of a sudden the game is like, hey, by the way, Karth's been a little distant. Maybe you should talk to him, which is like tutorializing the fact that you can talk to these characters. But also that is the intro to like one of the first dialogues where he will flirt with you a bit. Mm -hmm. And I think I must have been like 13 or 14. And that was like unreal. Like, oh, not only is this character acknowledging my gender because... I didn't know anything about queer stuff at all at that point and still very much was like, yeah, I like boys and nothing else. It's fine. But the fact that like this character could, could see quote unquote me and see the choices that I had made and have that kind of response was just like incredible. And I, I at this point have, have replayed that game so many times over the years that like, I literally can't play it anymore. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's it's nothing revolutionary. It's very sweet. You know, you help him deal with his trauma because that's what I guess women are for. Really, it's always going to stay with me just because it was like the first real game romance that I personally experienced. Yeah. Was that in the first Knights of the Old Republic? Yes, that's the first See? Knights of the Old Republic. <laughs> it always comes back to Bioware. <laughs> well, yeah, and Bioware. Yeah, and I, you know, I could sit here and pretend that I have this whole, you know, vast repertoire in my game of, like, independent games that did romance stuff or, like, this other obscure game that no one's heard of. No, I mean, I think I think for a lot of people, I think for most people, your introduction to, to romance games was Bioware. I mean, certainly, you know, for a lot of the people that, that I have worked with in, in the AAA space, like, talking about you know, your favorite Bioware love interest is like, you know, it's like the ultimate icebreaker, especially, you know, especially, I think especially for women too, just because like, you know, the, the industry is definitely like at times actively hostile towards the idea of that kind of content. And so like, if you're a woman and you're a game developer and you really care about that stuff and you meet other game developers who care about that stuff, it's just like, there's just an instant connection because it's so, it adds so much uh, to the experience, I think, of playing, uh, especially Mass Effect. I mean, especially Mass Effect where, you know, you have the potential with certain characters to carry out this romantic story 
all the way through three like fairly robust and lengthy games. And, you know, just with with all of the different things that can happen, you know, the way that the romance can tie into kind of political situations, the implications of certain things like it, it is just I, I know that people play those games without doing romances, but I don't understand them. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I am definitely a person who is like extremely pro romantic content in games. And like, I like to talk about it and particularly romance that involves any sort of aspect of like sexuality or sexual content. I think that, you know, there's a real, there's a real Puritanism in this industry, just in terms of in the Western industry, I should say, because that's what I've worked in. But, you know, there, there's very much sort of that Western phenomenon of like gratuitous violence is totally fine. And we're cool with it. You know, you can get an M rating with any amount of violence, but sex Whoa, you got to be real careful with sex because uh, you can, you know, get into the NC-17 or the AO territory real easy uh, if you do something as sort of preposterous as showing a woman enjoying sex. Those are nipples. That makes it <laughs> pornography. Yeah, I mean, I guess that that's kind of like when it when it comes to talking about romance and games and sexuality in games, that that's a thing that don't necessarily think that there are a lot of people kind of standing up on their soapboxes and saying like, I think there should be more horniness in games because there's, oh, I, <laughs> <laughs> I see you raising your hands. I appreciate it. But, but I, I, there is, there's this phenomenon of like, we've kind of gotten to this place where like sexual content is in a real danger of kind of being exclusively the purview of like specifically like, titillating games that are specifically meant to elicit like an erotic response which i think is really not great because i think that you know sex and sexuality as a part of like romantic interaction you know these are things that are just a part of the human experience and i think we should be able to engage with the topic of sexuality without expecting that it is going to be titillating in some way because because it is this very like universal experience like even if you are someone who is who is asexual like you are living in an allosexual world it is having an impact on you and i think there's like really interesting space there to also explore um in games and i think that we just kind of have to get over this idea that like i think one for a lot of people they still kind of have the idea in mind that games are for kids and therefore having sex in games is bad because games are toys for children, which like, obviously they aren't like mm -hmm. that clearly is not what games are anymore. But I think that perception still exists. And just like, you know, you get a room full of game developers in a room and start talking about sex and sexuality and romance. You're going to start getting a lot. You're going to get a lot of giggles. <laughs> it's not something that's treated really seriously unless you're very intentional about it. Um, and I think we just haven't seen a lot of like, at, at least in like the AAA space, which I'm talking about because that's that's where I kind of swim in. There's lots of really great like romantic and queer content involving sexuality. You know, itch.io is probably the best the best platform for any of that stuff because I think the people who run itch like understand that sex is not inherently like bad to have as a topic in a piece of art. Uh, which is nice, which I really appreciate about them. Yeah. And as for my wanting of more horniness in video games, it is more of the AAA space where 
that I, I would like to see. And I, there are a lot of games that I haven't played yet that have romance aspects to it. Um, but I definitely know that there is a whole culture and a whole world out there of games that are explicitly almost sex only with the storyline as the background. And maybe one day we'll have somebody on who creates those types of games. Yeah, it's it's tough. Like that that space is so, you know, you think the regular games industry is dominated by kind of this idea of the like, you know, white heterosexual cisgender male gamer player. Like the general industry already has a problem with that. But yeah, once you, you know, you you look at kind of the content of some of this stuff and it is very much around like situations that are borderline or even actually just sexual assault like that's Mm -hmm. a that's a you know pervasive issue in that kind of content and i think that you know some people look at something that has sex in it and kind of see it as all the same thing where it's like well hold on you know we're talking about sexual content we're talking about romance like consent is a really big big part of it even if you don't have like explicit sexual content the the question of consent is something that you know i think i think that particularly in um in uh dragon age inquisition i think that it was really nice that uh particularly like the iron bulls romance line mm-hmm. had a very strong emphasis on hey this guy is into some things that are that are kinky but also part of kink is is getting consent and i think that you know when when we look at all sexuality and sexual content in games and we look at sort of the you know pornographic segment of the games industry and we say oh well that's just that's just over there and that's yucky and i don't like that and we're not going to engage with it or talk about it it's like no like there's probably ways to make it better and make it so that you know it's not just sending like the most god-awful messages um so yeah i i think just like as an industry i mean honestly i think that the the, the way to kind of get past that is really diversifying developers themselves. Like if you have one marginalized developer on a team, and I and I think that, you know, your average AAA team these days has a bunch of marginalized people on it. It's just that you don't necessarily see their impact because it's such a fight just to even get like a tiny sliver of representation or a little tiny, you know, to get one female character. It's so tough sometimes being in those conversations. But I think the the will is there, and so I think as we as we see more studios making diversity of their workforces, you know, a priority, I think we will start to see games branch into more and more using verbs other than violent. Um, I think the fact that like Stray, the cat exploration game that just came out, like I think the fact that that game is unbelievably like wildly popular and successful, and it doesn't have violence as a verb, like I think that's great it can feel very weird sometimes to to be somebody who cares a lot about romance in games and a lot about sexuality in games, because it's like, why are you talking about that so much? But like, I feel the need to talk about it because I really just like see the absence in a lot of stuff. And I see how like, when the industry tries to tackle those kinds of things, it can be so ham fisted. And I think a lot of that reason is because we haven't invested time and understanding and like, maturing this medium when it comes to covering those topics still a relatively new medium but you know we have generations of developers where women and other uh marginalized folks just like were not able to participate and so we've kind of lost out on that time when games could have been exploring stuff 
but just kind of didn't. And sort of the rare kind of gems that we see along the way that did explore those topics, like those are so critical to kind of the canon of games, right? Like the, the fact that in The Sims, you could have same-sex relationships and, and have same-sex uh, adoption was like huge. And so just like mind-blowing um, the fact that, that that was even something that you could do. Like I, I grew up in a very conservative, very religious environment. And I am very, very certain that the first time that I saw queerness presented just in like a neutral way, not even a positive way, just neutral, just the fact that it existed and was not like inherently bad was playing The Sims at someone else's house. And, you know, games have such power when it comes to like building empathy you know the fact that games is this interactive medium and you're kind of putting yourself into this avatar that's experiencing things like it it is such a safe place to explore sexuality to explore gender to explore just like you know what kind of romance do you like what what kind of romance are you interested in like i think you know playing different dating simulators where you have different sort of archetypes of of other characters that you're you're talking to like you know, maybe in real life, you're not going to run into like your childhood best friend who now is like a combination biker and also tattoo artist. But like <laughs> in the game, you can kind of explore that and, and experience that. And, you know, like psychologically, it, it it's just so freeing. Like, I think it, when you limit yourself to kind of the the mainstream stuff, the stuff that, you know, kind of fits into the box of what a game should be, like you're really limiting your chance to to explore all the different facets of like human experience which is a very highfalutin way for me to say like i wish there was more games that had the content that i like <laughs> uh, yeah um agreed when <laughs> so I've, I've had a lot of thoughts since you were talking and the first thought i had when you brought up stray is i literally just finished that game <laughs> yesterday and that game was amazing and part of why i liked it so much and even though it's not a romance there's no romance in there but there's a great friendship and it's an unlikely friendship. And that's something that I really like seeing in games too. It's just relationships between people, obviously romantic, but also platonic. And like, this was a relationship between a robot and a cat. <laughs> and like, they became best friends and it was so cute. You, you can't even really fight in that game. There's, it's, it's amazing. And, and like, I loved that it became so popular. I think people who don't play games when they think of games, the first thing they think of is like Call of Duty. You know, those type of games like first person shooters, massive multiplayer online games. And yeah, there's a bunch of those games, but that's not even like a quarter of the games that exist. And I I want to see more games that have those kinds of friendships and seeing romances blossom because we even if you are an asexual person, you are exist because of a sexual relationship that happened somewhere, you know. It's in, it permeates everyone's life so much, just that type of, like you said, a human experience. And it's not dumb to put it in games. I've seen so many comments of people who say that, like, it's so dumb. Why would you like it? That's not why we play games. In that new update that just happened with The Sims, that was my other thought I had, was you brought up The Sims. And people were so confused why you can now choose sexuality. Because <laughs> like, well, you can already have a lesbian relationship or a gay relationship or whatever. It's like... 
Not really, because your sim could still flirt with anybody if you weren't watching them like a hawk, you know? Yeah. It's nice yeah, that you that... can now set specific sexualities, because that way you are creating an actual character with a sexuality. It's not just, I will have sex, a woohoo with anyone, you know? That's not that's not a sexuality. Yeah, that... I mean, the, the joke now is, is like, oh, finally, you can have straight people in the sim. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which, like, exactly. I, I will say, like, I you know, I, I talked a little bit before the whole screed about, you know, intentionality. And it's interesting because I definitely see the Sims team very intentional, being very intentional with with these updates, with the content that they're choosing to include. They've taken some like pretty firm stances on stuff. And I appreciate that. And I think like, I just think about the possibility of like, what if we could all just get on board with that? You know, like there's so much fear. There's so much hesitance sometimes when it comes to rocking the boat. And I get it. There are these like major financial institutions and, you know, they're trying, they're making a game. Games cost so much more to make now. They involve so many more people now that it's like, you know, if you're not a person who's already in the mindset of we want to rock the boat by including romance, we want to, you know, include queer characters. We want to include more characters of color or in some cases, any characters of color. It requires people on the team to be already thinking about that stuff. And I think that we are still in a place where kind of the upper echelon of all of these studios and all of these publishers are still kind of, you know, they're not there yet. And I think that, you know, a thing a thing that I've definitely encountered in the industry is just like the fact that white cisgender straight men are still very much the default in people's minds and like all of sort of the stories that go along with like your sort of quote unquote like typical male hero's journey protagonist like all of that stuff i think is still very much like the starting line in terms of when people are generating new ip you know when they're trying to refresh an old ip like you very much see this this phenomena i think in a lot of game series where the initial game is white brown haired protagonists and probably some like cool creative premise i mean i listen i love dead space but isaac clark is not a dynamic character he is a, a sad white man with brown hair which is cool like characters executed well story games are great i love those games very much uh he's also straight but like you know we, we see in these series like if the series manages to last long enough eventually by like maybe like the fourth or fifth game they'll introduce a protagonist who's a woman or a protagonist who's a, a person of color or or sometimes both <laughs> which is always great and i think that a lot of that is just because like there have been marginalized people on those teams for so long that finally finally people started to get it and, and also like as an industry i think a lot of publishers are are starting to kind of get the hint that like women and other gender non-conforming folks and queer people and people of color like we've all got money and i don't know about you two but i have definitely like spent money on a thing that i knew wasn't going to be great just because it had like a crumb of content that i felt was like something that i i would enjoy like i bought um this is not to say that this game this game is not bad it's just not it's just not triple a it's double it's double a you know still still a, a fine production but i bought this game uh bound by flame which is by this french studio spiders that i'm completely obsessed with because that game had romances in it and you know you look at your typical bioware romance and it's it's usually about like 40 minutes to an hour of content uh the romances in bound by flame are like 
four minutes of content. And I was like, okay, well, at least I'm getting some dialogue about the fact that I'm romancing this elf. Cool. Yeah, I'm currently replaying The Witcher 1. Oh, because God. I know. It's, <laughs> yeah. Ooh, it's a struggle. But it is it is why I fell in love with Geralt back in the day, because I did play it when it first came out. And I was like, you know what? It, I haven't played it since it first came out. So I rebought the game and I'm mm-hmm. working through it. And I was like, just because I want to relive those initial romances, I want to remember what it was li- like to first meet Triss, what it was first like to meet Shawnee, and then collect all 19 collectible cards. And, you know, it's like, those romances are maybe... 10 minutes long throughout the Uh entire game between Triss or Shawnee. And then the collectible cards are give Geralt gives the woman flowers. And then all of a sudden they're in the back of the mill and you get a picture, a flash frame. And she has, and it's, yeah, it's like a little, it's like a little like tantalizing, like they're topless, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Some of them are completely nude. Um, Oh, amazing. (laughs) See, I don't see, I remember hearing about that initially, like, when I was like first kind of getting into games and being like, oh, that's awful. Uh, it is awful. But if you had a game where like you could get like tantalizing cards of like a broad spectrum of genders and body types, hmm. I wouldn't be opposed to that. They are not all, you know, skinny blonde women or, you know, like there are definitely some full figured women in there. There are, I mean, they are all women. There are brunettes, <laughs> yes. Uh, there are also some witches covered in rotting flesh. I mean, oh, amazing! Yeah, there's some good ones in there. Yeah, I, I was actually. It's funny that you bring up The Witcher because, like, that's another one where I was pretty resistant to playing The Witcher three for a while because, for me, like, I played all the Dragon Age games, I played like the Elder Scrolls game. It's like, why would I play a, a fantasy RPG where I can't make my own character? I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, but literally the thing that got me to play The Witcher 3 was that I found out that there were haircuts and that his beard grew. And I was like, oh, heck yeah, I want to play that because it's a form of self-expression. You know, I, I like that in, in Red Dead Redemption 2 as well. I mean, it sounds like you played The Witcher the same way I played The Witcher 3, because when I played The Witcher 3, I was like, all right, I'm sleeping with everyone I can. Yep. I just want to know. I'll, although the fact that I hadn't played The Witcher 2 or The Witcher 1 did lead me to make a mistake, which is I did romance Triss, which Triss is great. But she's not Jennifer, yet. My God. <laughs> <laughs> what a woman. <laughs> yeah. And like, and I just, you know, I think I just wish that like, I don't know. I just wish that like there's, there's male prostitutes at those, at those, uh, at those houses. Like maybe Geralt should be able to deal with them. I mean, it's really funny. I was, I was playing it with, I was watching a friend play it a couple weeks ago. And you can, like, go up to the male prostitutes and, like, click the interact button. And they're just like, ugh, get out of here. It's like, really? They're saying, ugh, to Geralt? Right. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and and to be fair to, to CG Project, which I don't necessarily think you have to be. But to be fair to them, I mean, there are, there are queer romances in cyberpunk, uh, including, I think, one uh, gay male one. Yep. So I'll, I'll give them that. Yeah, not a lot. <laughs> we just finished talking about cyberpunk. Actually, oh, really? there's four, there's four romances and one person you can just have a very intense sex scene with. <laughs> That's not a romance though. It's just like yeah. a one night stand. Um, and their their romances are really interesting because there's that's 
this is just my gut instinct. It's not like I have anything to prove that this is what the developers did, but <laughs> like there's two women and two men romances and well romance options. One woman is straight, one woman is a lesbian, one man is gay and one man is straight. And the two male romances, Carrie and River, are like side quests. River especially is super short. He's got three missions. One of them is like five seconds long and he is buggy still to this day. Like mm. just his, it's full of bugs. And then the two women romances, even though one is a lesbian romance, they are main quest ladies. They have a lot more content. Mm. One of the, the straight woman romance is actually integral to the best ending of the game. Like she is absolutely integral to the game. And so there's a lot of people, myself included, who feel like they've definitely put a bias on those relationships because even though the one lesbian romance, her name is Judy, she is a lesbian. There's a lot of straight men who play as the female V, that's the name of the character, just to romance her. And we we we've interacted with a lot of them um in our Discord server and, and it's they're like, oh she's so hot, the best, the most sexiest sex scene. And I'm just like, to me that's gross because they're like objectifying her, you know? And so I'm happy that she is in the game. And I'm happy that Carrie's in the game as a gay man romance, but like he doesn't have that much content either. And she has a ton. But like a lesbian probably didn't write that romance. Yeah. And a gay man probably didn't write that romance. Exactly. You you can tell. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's rough. I mean, there and there's definitely like a history of that in games. Like it's it's so tough. Like there's actually yeah, yeah. sorry. I was just, you know, men just like they just have this. I, I really think it's fear. Like I talked about fear before. I think I think it is fear like there is kind of this ingrained socialized aversion that that straight men feel like they have to have when they see anything between two men and it's really sad because like you're just limiting yourself you know it i remember there being like a very kind of i guess the opposite phenomenon with dragon age inquisition where people were like ah dorian's great like i want to romance dorian he's great he's gay cool like i'm already playing as a guy this is great okay so when you present it, people are interested. And I think if those two male characters had the same amount of effort, or no, I shouldn't say effort because making games punishingly difficult, but if they had the same amount of content, you'd be a lot more invested in going and doing those romances. But yeah, that that doesn't surprise me. I mean, the history of women in media is being, you know, sex objects. And it doesn't surprise me that in general, the games industry is much more comfortable seeing two women in a relationship than two men. Whenever you see like a bisexual character, a lot of the times you end, they will be a woman who is interested in women and men. You just don't see as many male gay characters. I mean, you know, even Mass Effect Andromeda, which did a lot of stuff in terms of portrayals of different sexualities, they had to patch in another male gay option because originally the game only shipped with one and you couldn't, there was like the romance achievement and you couldn't get it if you were a man playing as a man who only wanted to romance men, which is like a huge misstep. But I understand why it happens, right? Because there is a perception that gamers are overwhelmingly male and overwhelmingly heterosexual. I just think that's not true. And I also think that if the games industry like made an effort, they would see that like kind of similar, like honestly, um, have the both of you watched Our Flag Meets Death? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like... That show, in my opinion, should just be like a total game changer for every artistic industry because it is so unabashedly queer and 
a main romance is queer. You've got two side romances that are queer. You've got a very racially diverse cast. The show covering these topics and also covering stuff that's like completely unrelated. And it's like, I look at that show and I'm just like, this is it. This is what we should do. Would love if it had a few more female characters. But like overall, you know, it's kind of ruined me for everything else. Like I cannot be queer baited anymore because I have that show in my brain all the time. I'm just like, but what if, what if you just did it? Like I, there was like, there's like a, a news article today that's like, oh, could Obi-Wan Kenobi be bisexual? And I guess like in the latest Star Wars book, there's a bit where I guess a male character Never kind of like gets flirty with Obi-Wan and then Obi-Wan is kind of thinking to himself, like, I wonder if I would kiss any of these people. Well, actually I wouldn't because I'm a Jedi. The end. And it's like, that's not representation. <laughs> like, like, it's not. And I, I just, I won't accept it anymore. You know? Honestly, like, that I might have just been fear of the Star Wars fan base. Because <laughs> like, uh... they're the worst fan base. The thing I was thinking about with with Judy and like all these other things is like, there's a lot of straight men out there who just feel like it's for them. Like everything is for them. And that's what I felt like when I heard how many straight men play as a female V just to romance Judy. And it's like, she's not for you. Like, I guess if you want to role play as a woman, fine. But like, I know why you're doing that because you want to see her sexy sex scene, but she's not for you, you know, like be okay with some things being not for you because that's what we've all experienced our entire lives. There's been a ton that's not for us, you know? Yeah, it's it's rough. And it's like, you know, whenever you see a game come out with like a female protagonist or protagonist who isn't white, it's always like, oh, well, you know, they're just trying to be progressive. They're just trying to do this. It's like, do you understand that I, my, hello, my name is Shana Moon, professional game developer. I can still remember the first game where I was able to play as a woman that wasn't like a Barbie game for girls. Like, I remember that. And hey, guess what? It was a Star Wars game. And since then, they have canonized that character as male. So like, yeah, I I think that it's really kind of insulting to act like every like white straight cis dude is just like chronically incapable of like understanding another group's perspective. Basically like infantilize these guys and act like, oh, if they don't get the like jangly shiny key ring, they're just going to pitch a fit. And it's like, I really honestly believe that like the average straight cis white dude can like handle a protagonist who is not exactly like them. You know, we just have this like segment of the audience that is just like so toxic and so loud. Like if we just said, and, and I'm and I'm making this sound easy and I understand that it's not, but but literally, if we just said tomorrow, hey, we're gonna have diverse protagonists, shut up that segment of the market is not enough to tank a project financially. It absolutely is not. It just isn't. And also, what are they going to do? Go make your own game then. Well, like... and that's so funny too, because <laughs> for so for so long, the refrain was, you know, to any any person who kind of brought up diversity in games, or, or even if you were like, oh, I wish there was like some, some other kind of content. It was like, oh, well, don't try to ruin this game. Go make your own games. Like, and then people did, and they still get abused. Like, so I, so in addition to being like a queer woman who exists on the internet, I'm also a queer Jewish woman who exists on the internet. And so like, it's a thing where like, from a, a Jewish person's perspective, I have been extremely aware from a very young age that there are some people who just do hate Jewish people for no good 
reason. And so when I see kind of the hate that crops up when you're talking about like diverse, diverse characters, I really just think like, oh, you're just like kind of a loser. Like, <laughs> I, I've never heard a good argument for why, you know, making a character part of some marginalized group is bad. Like never heard it, probably never will. When you're in AAA, it can kind of be a situation where you end up kind of needing, needing to like pick your battles when it comes to that stuff. But like, honestly, <laughs> like, the the history of the games industry is so thoroughly like white and male and cis and straight that like we could just have the next 10 years of games not have any protagonists that fall into that category and it still wouldn't make up for all the games that have come out before even if no game for the next 10 years had a male protagonist we still wouldn't catch up <laughs> so i don't know i i just kind of i do take it very seriously but also there's a part of me that's just like I don't really care about that opinion. It's an art form and art reflects our world. So it is natural that we have diversity to be representative of the world. Like the our flag means death. When people say, oh, that kind of show, just pandering to the progressives or whatever. No, no it's not. Those are people that exist in this world. <laughs> like that is what a lot of people look like. That is what a lot of people like. You know, it, it's not making shit up that exists you know if they're just well, telling a different story and like half the cast themselves are queer in real life yeah. so it's like yes these people yeah. exist because they're literally right there they literally it, are right there and it's so it's so funny too like i think i think v you mentioned call of duty do you know how queer the history of warfare is <laughs> like the, illuminate it, us. Is, it is i mean it it is just it is just like the history of warfare is the history of like many, many, many young men being taken away from their homes and just packed in tightly together and also forming these real bonds of of friendship and camaraderie and closeness and like wanting to defend the other men around them. It's completely ludicrous to think that like every interaction in those environments was entirely heterosexual. So like a gay protagonist of a Call of Duty game makes so much sense. <laughs> So much. And they're never going to do it, considering the way that the Call of Duty franchise kind of intersects with taking money from the U.S. military and working with gun manufacturers. Like, they've cleaned a bit of that up in the last few years, but, like, it's not necessarily the representation that people want or need. But, like, the idea that, that like, romance wouldn't fit in a Call of Duty game is, like, preposterous. <laughs> it's a part of human life, and it just gets left out of so many things. I guarantee you that, you know, there's, like, all the different sports games that EA makes um, and also that 2K makes. Like if you introduced like a side thing where your sports guy that you were like taking through the season could get like a significant other and have to like deal with, you basically have a bunch of straight dudes playing Otome games. Like, <laughs> and they would love it. They would love it. They just like, it's just, it's just all this marketing just like biases people. And, you know, I'm not saying that there aren't market trends or anything like that, but like, I think we, we limit ourselves so much and limit what we're willing to show to different audiences. And like, and I should say that like, I'm making a lot of big swings here and saying a lot, like there's a lot of people who work very hard, who, who do understand like the way that the markets work. I just think sitting here as like a queer woman there are so many times where I've like seen a movie or played a game or something. And I've just been like, ah, if you just change this like a tiny bit, it just wouldn't suck for me to experience. And it wouldn't like make it worse for anyone else. So it, 
it's tough because you you ask for a lot and when you get those little crumbs or you get something like stupendous like our flag means death like you just want to amplify it you want to talk about it and get really excited about it i think one thing that people can do is just when you really love something just reach out to the people who made it and tell them that you liked it people are so much more likely to reach out and say stuff when they're mad being very intentional about like reaching out to a developer or a team or a a site or something and just saying like, hey, I really like what you did. That is then something that that person who made that content can go back to like their corporate overlords and be like, hey, look, we're getting a really positive response to this. Maybe we should do it some more. And in, in that regard, I think people have a lot of power to kind of influence what they see in the industry. If we can clone Taika and like have him like producing Uh, five different things at once, that might help too. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. I don't know. Did the two of you see Thor, Love, and Thunder? Not yet. Not I, yet. I will not spoil it. I was actually going to bring up Thor in a different way. Though. Oh, please do. <laughs> yeah, please not, do. Not that movie, but God of War Ragnarok. Because that was something else I that is not represented very well. The fact that when they, we got their promotional images and Thor was a hefty boy... And a bunch of people got very upset about that because they have what Chris Hemsworth in their head as who Thor looks like and is. That Thor in God of War Ragnarok looks like my sister's boyfriend, who's very powerful and strong and tall, but he doesn't have cut abs, you know? Like, I loved seeing body representation, too, especially for men, like, because usually men look like one way in video games, and women also usually look like one way in video games. So just that, too, is something I'm happy hopefully happens more. We see more, especially with RPGs, when we can make our own character. I would like to choose body size as well someday. Yeah, that's really interesting. And it it does go, it goes back to like a thing that I've been like kind of needling about in my head lately, which is like treating things related to representation the same way we treat any other feature when we're developing a game. So you're talking about like being able to have diverse bodies um, in like RPGs and stuff. And the thing about that and the thing that, you know, any game developer would tell you is like, that would be great, but it presents XYZ technical challenge. And as a producer, you know, my job is to solve problems or my job is to get the people in the room together who can solve the problem and sort of nudge them along to, to get to a, to get to deciding something so we can solve the problem. And when I look at something like diverse body types, I think about the Sims. I think about the Saints Row series, both of which have introduced like fairly robust body creation systems. And I think it just goes back to like, what is your priority when you are making your game? And what assumptions are you making when you're making your game? Because if you have your game set up so that when you drop in a character, just like a stand-in character, that stand-in character is like a muscular, slender, white dude, if that is just the default, then if somebody comes along and says like, hey, it'd be really great to like get a bigger body or a fat body into this game, 
you know, you're going to say like, ah, well, but we already put the resources into making this slender body. So we can't really do that. We'd love to, but we can't. And I think that it's the same thing with like accessibility. It's like, if you want to have representation, if you want to have like a diverse amount of, of bodies and stuff, you really have to build it in from the very beginning. And I think that that's another place where the games industry stumbles because when you are making a game, when you're in sort of the earliest, earliest process, sort of every studio honestly is different, but in general, the first step is is kind of the creative step where you've got a group of folks together and they're sort of ideating on like, what what could this game be? And most of the time, if not all the time, the people who are in that room are very, very senior. They've been in the industry for a while. And that cohort of people is very disproportionately, you know, a certain type of person, a certain age of person, generally men, you know, maybe you have one or two women these days, maybe you have like a little bit of diversity, but like, in general, that like senior creative leadership in the games industry is still overwhelmingly very homogenous. And so what we really need is in the games industry, we need to mentor and also like advocate for marginalized people moving up in those ranks of creative leadership. And then in that room, when you're talking about character creation, when you're talking about how your actions can influence what happens in the game. You can have more people who are more likely to not have the mindset that a certain body and a certain race and a certain sexuality and a certain gender are the default. And that's not to say that like people who are not part of marginalized groups can also be educated about other marginalized groups. It's just like, if you don't have those people in the room, you're never gonna see that reflected in your game. And if you do see that reflected in your game, you can end up with something really ham-fisted and something that could be like a little bit embarrassing, honestly. But yeah, like I would love to see more body types um, in games. You know, I think especially like as women, you, you kind of get it everywhere. But yeah, like being able to to go into the Sims and make Sims who are fat and, and, and also like make Sims who are fat, but also muscular at the same time. There's a lot of different body types that exist. And I think that I mean, some of it also just comes down to where are artists who make characters getting educated? What type of character is considered an appealing character when you're creating a portfolio? I mean, if you if you go to like ArtStation or you go to any of the sort of like major art platforms where professional creatives kind of post their work, you see a lot of Dorito-shaped muscular dudes and a lot of hourglass figure women there are standards that exist both in education and professional life that like need to be challenged in order for that to be reflected in the content made in games. And just like, just generally, like people just kind of have to, I mean, when it comes to fatness and fat bodies, like that is so fraught. I mean, I'm, I'm a person who's been fat all my life and, you know, it's had an impact for sure. And, you know, a big impact is just like, you just don't see yourself reflected in media. You you don't have any kind of like a vision of like what a cool or a sexy person could look like that like has your body. And that's not because that that person doesn't exist. It's just that like we've been viewing humanities through such a narrow lens that it, it's kind of the same thing of like your default for a body is a thin body, even if that is very much not the case when it comes to like the general population. And it can cause some like real damage. It can really impact the way that you view real people in your life. 
And so that's like another reason why I think representation is so important. Me playing The Sims and seeing a queer relationship for the first time, right? Like, even if I had not ended up being queer myself, which I am, even if that had not been the case, that still would have been the first time I saw queer content in a neutral way. And even if I was straight, like, that's still something important. As people who make entertainment, we have so much influence on the general culture that I think we just, like, have to be more responsible about what worlds are we crafting and what do those worlds say about our world? Yeah, the negative feedback people get or the comments on social media are like, oh, Thor is too fat or, oh, why'd you do this to The Sims or this is just dumb pandering or whatever. Like, it's just the negative bias people have. Like you said, they're going to be the loudest. They're not the majority. It's clear. It's so clear that doing these types of representation in games is very much a smart investment. You will make your money back. You know, like those games are always the ones that become the most popular because that's what we want to see. The majority of people aren't shitty. <laughs> like they, I hope so. This is what I have to believe. The majority of people aren't shitty and they want these games and they want that. It's just not, like you said, it's not only just for someone to see themselves in a game. It's also for people to see other people. I know so many people who are like, I never realized that being gay was a thing that was okay or like other people were that way until i played this game or i played that game hopefully the future like i have a child and hopefully when she starts playing video games the world will be a different place and it won't be there won't be any kid anywhere who has to learn about homosexuality or learn about themselves from a game they're like sneaking around their parents or something i I hope that is the world that we end up in You just like rocketed me back to my experience playing the original Mass Effect where like I'm I'm sitting in my parents' living room. I have I'm just about to have the romance scene with Liara and my parents come down in the driveway and I alt F4 out of the game so fast. Yeah. 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 I want that. I want that for your child too. And (laughs) honestly, like I don't I don't want to say like it's too late for me or anything like that, but like I do I do think a lot about the kid that I was and how much how much it would have meant oh gosh I'm gonna get choked up but like how much it would have meant for me to know that there were people in the industry who really did care and who really did want to make a better world for me sometimes I I see young women I see other like young people starting to come into the industry and it's like oh you can start at a triple a job where they say that crunch is bad and they don't want to do it cool like we should be making things better both in terms of like the content that we create and the industry that you know that people come into i saw a picture one time that was of like you know you see like the poster of all of the the presidents but it was a it was a picture of like a little boy in front of a poster of all the, a little white boy in front of a poster of all of the presidents and they were all white women and then one black woman for for Barack Obama. And like that reversal kind of put it so starkly to me. And it it really had an impact on me. Now, it, you know, it's a little bit corny, but like, oh man, that that hit me really hard. Just thinking about like how many times sort of world shaking things have happened and there hasn't been a single woman in the room. It's very, it can be very frightening to to be a marginalized person. I think especially, you know, we do not have to go here, but like, especially in the last couple of years, like it, 
things have kind of taken a sharp turn in terms of like just how much like reactionary stuff you see on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, it's not like I think that like video games are going to save the world or anything. You know, I think that (laughs) policy needs to happen. But I think that you can make the choice to to speak up and to try to try to just make something better for the person sitting at the desk next to you, at least. And that's what I try to do. I think they could, though. I mean, <laughs> a lot of these people who get radicalized just spend a couple hours on YouTube, right? Can you imagine if they're only seeing one side of things and then they pick up their controller and they suddenly have a whole new world, literally, and that might be the thing? It could be the thing. I have to be optimistic. It, I have a kid. I mean, it haunts me just how much harm probably could have been averted if like the major studios and major publishers had really put their foot down when it came to harassment of developers a few years ago. There was a developer from ArenaNet who got fired and also another employee who had like supported them also got fired for responding to abuse on the internet. And I think that when companies kind of buckle and fold to that kind of pressure, they're basically saying like, okay, you can have anything you want as long as you yell at us loud enough. And I think about that. I think about like, like Disney just now is standing up for stuff. I mean, not that they've never done anything, but like just now, like, okay, what if like 20 years ago you had done something (laughs) and you had taken a stand then you can't really put your faith in major corporations in that way. But like, yeah, I mean, I think that, I think that it can't be down to individual actors to improve those major, major problems. Like there's a lot to be said for people working at a company sort of uniting and making a statement to their company about like the type of content that they are or are not willing to make. And we've seen a lot more of that kind of action in the industry in the last two years. And that's been phenomenal. It's been really, really great to see. I do hope that we can make a better world. Uh, and, and like, honestly, when it, when it comes to that sort of thing, like exploring topics that like, we haven't really explored in our, in our medium, like romance, even just friendships, like you talked about the the relationship between the robot and the cat and stray, like exploring meaningful relationships in that way is, is so great. And I think whenever games come out that have those really like rich themes, like people just gravitate towards them, but they don't always make a lot of money. And they don't appeal, allegedly, to a certain demographic of gamer. And so we're going to continue to see that stuff exist in sort of the indie and the double A spaces. But I do think, like, there's a ton of marginalized people working in AAA right now. And, like, if the AAA industry can kind of get its act together and, like, mentor and sponsor people into positions of creative leadership. Um, I emphasize creative leadership, by the way, because... There, there is this phenomenon that like, for me as a woman, just strictly speaking from my own experience, like a lot of times you will see senior production leadership or senior HR leadership, or, or even sometimes like senior art leadership, you will see women in those positions. But when it comes to like creative directors, game directors, gameplay directors, combat directors, level design directors, when it comes to those roles, which really kind of shape the fabric of what a game will come to be thematically, we still are not seeing women and people of color in those roles. And that is where I think that the industry kind of like, there's been a big push in the industry of like, okay, we want to get women and people of color and queer people into the industry. It's like, cool. But we also have an industry that once they get here, will keep them and 
have them rise into positions of influence. And that I really think is the way that we get like more exciting, more diverse, more interesting, you know, depictions of relationships and cultures um, in the industry. And I think we can do both at the same time. Like I think that marginalized people who are currently in the industry can be pushing for that diversity of content while also pushing to diversify the workforces. It's just hard. And it's hard as like one person to really wrap your whole brain around it. But luckily I have a, a ton of really great friends in the AAA industry and like Man, if you ever see just like a sliver, a sliver of marginalized content in a AAA project, there was probably like at least one person on that team who is just like sweating and not sleeping and fighting so hard to get that in. And we'll never know all those stories, but those people are are definitely out there and they're working really hard. So I appreciate all of that. I sure wish it wasn't that hard to get that content <laughs> in there. I also think part of diversifying and in increasing diversity at like upper levels of game studios is also just speaking for myself as someone who would like to enter the games industry someday, did all the things they said you were supposed to do. I actually want to be a producer, but yeah, which is funny, but I've applied to so many places and you never hear back. Or when you do, it's because you, you don't have AAA experience already or any games experience already. It's yeah. like sometimes you also need like the HR departments of these studios to recognize soft skills. Cause I have an HR degree as well. And it's like, you can recognize soft skills. You can see past experience that would translate very well. And you got to take chances on people sometimes because that is how you can have a more diverse studio as well. It's like people from different backgrounds and experiences will come in and they may make your processes better. They may make a better game because, you know, they didn't all go to the same school. They didn't all go know all the same teachers or all the same people. Like if you do it that way, you're going to have a click, essentially, you know, and that's yeah, probably I, how the games industry started is a click of people. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I, I will say that, like, one of the most phenomenal producers that I know in the industry right now came out of like the healthcare industry as, as a, as a, I don't know exactly what their title was in the healthcare industry, but they came in to a game studio and just knocked it out of the park. So yeah, I, I agree. I think that I talked earlier about how like the, the, the skill set of a producer, you know, you should be able to move between different disciplines. I think, yeah, when it comes to soft skills, when it comes to organizational stuff, like it, we should. And, and I remember being at a game developers conference, like probably like five or six years ago. And, and a woman working at a, I think a, a university that had a games program was talking about like, yeah, if you want to get marginalized people in your workforce, you have to open it up to people who don't already have pre-existing experience in the industry because, you know, it's very much a phenomenon. I mean, and we see it right now in the industry in Los Angeles and sort of also the Irvine area, there's a ton of new studios opening up that are sort of headed by people who are coming out of these AAA studios. And so overwhelmingly, they are run by white men who have come out of these AAA studios. And, I, and I've, I've interviewed with a couple of them. And I, at, at one point uh, a while ago, I had gotten to like kind of like the offer stage with one of these studios. And I, I knew kind of their director of production, had a conversation with them and just said like, listen, all of your leadership is white men and you say that you care about diversity but i don't see it in your leadership they were not going to hire me into like a leadership role like i at, the, at that time didn't have the experience they were going to hire me into like a mid-level role and i was like and I, I didn't say all of this but it was like i don't 
I don't enjoy being in a meeting where I'm the only woman in the room. It's not an enjoyable experience for me. I've done it for years. I've, I've been in those situations, but like, it's not great. I don't love it. There's things that happen and things that come up in context that like, it just doesn't connect. And, and I just, this was kind of like the last conversation I had where I was like, I need you to tell me like, what are you gonna do about this? And do you consider this a problem? And what I got back was just like, yes, we consider it a problem, but there was no plan to address it. You know, I, I am in a position right now where like I am trying to hire and it's hard because I'm, I'm trying to hire for like a more, a more senior uh, engine producer. And, and so that skill set is difficult to find, but like you just have to make the effort, you know, like it's just so important that, yeah, I mean, I, I totally, I, I really do. Like, I totally agree with you. I think that especially in production, honestly, we could use people from outside the industry because no studio does production the same way and we're all making it up as we go along. So that's what I didn't, I actually, one of my last interviews I did, it was for the company I work for now, but it was for a project management role because I was mm-hmm. like, maybe I'll have more success applying to studios if I'm coming directly from a project management role. I did not get that role because I don't have a project management degree or something. I'm not really sure why. And uh, I was talking with them and they were they were like, oh, yeah, you know, you just need more experience. And I was like, okay, so what do you guys suggest? Like, oh, it's on the job training, really. Like literally for everything is on the job training though. Like you need to be able to look at some, and I know it's I'm sorry. I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing at the absurdity. No, I know. It was just such a funny, I laughed at that. I'm like, well then hire me. Like if you believe I can learn the job, then that's all you need to know. Right? Like if I'm qualified in every other aspect and that's literally how everyone learns their job. Like you're never going to find someone who can just roll right in with no training and become your perfect employee. That does not happen. It does not exist. So if you're looking, that's what I hate so much about job openings and job listings is they're, they're asking for someone that they dreamed up. And it's like, you're not going to find that person. <laughs> How do you get games industry experience? Is it because someone hires you in the games industry? <laughs> like, It's tough because there are, I mean, I have like my own experience. My own experience was that I, I went to a, a game design degree like my my bachelor's is in digital animation game design I didn't learn anything really about production except for what I learned while working on projects that kind of I you know was terrible at and you know just kind of bumbled my way through it's interesting because like a lot of like the more old school attitude is like yeah you know you don't you don't need some fancy degree you don't need to specialize in this thing you just got to come in and do the work Uh, But I think what people who have that attitude don't realize is that like, when you just like hire your buddies, people get left out in the cold. Yeah, like it it definitely is a thing that that I've had a lot of conversations about just in terms of like, you know, maybe we bring in somebody from the tech world with a project manager skill set. Maybe we find someone from like a different industry. I mean, I think people people from the film industry have crossed over into games we use some of the same, especially if you're coming from animation, we we definitely use some of the same tools. It, it is really tough. And I guess the, the only like sliver of like consolation that I can offer you is that when I was first applying for my first job, I mean, not my first job, but like my first AAA job, the one at Sony, I applied to 92 jobs uh, before I got mine. And I actually went back I went back and did the math on that a while ago, and I had a 20% 
response rate to all of those jobs. So like of all of those jobs that I applied to, 20% got back to me. And a lot of those were just like auto-reject, auto-reject or like, you know, form letter things. So like if it feels hard, it's because it is hard. Um, yeah. But we definitely could be making it easier, you know, for marginalized people to get into the industry. I mean, I like I, I should be really honest here. Like I, you know, I, I am a woman and I am a queer woman in the games industry, but like I'm also a white woman and I also come from like a pretty privileged background. And it was still incredibly difficult for me to get into the games industry. Like it is hard. It's not even the games industry alone. Like my last job search, I, I applied to 45 jobs and I only heard back from three. Uh, and I got one interview or I got two interviews and then I got one job offer, which is the job I ended up taking. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like we have the technology to do a lot better than this, you know, mm. should not just be auto rejects. You should hear back from every place you apply to, first of all. I just hate getting lost in the, I guess they didn't like me. You know, that's just Yeah, I, this is not, I, this is not by any means like discounting your experience. The, the portals that they have, like the web portals on the hiring side for like going through candidates and stuff are like kind of really difficult to use sometimes like and and the other yeah. thing is like no I've, I've worked in hr i've done yeah. that before so i know well we the one we used was called Jobvite, and we set it up so if we said no it would they, everyone always heard back from us because that was very important so i'm like I, I don't know what tools everyone uses but i know the tools exist that you can do it that way if it's important to you i mean my my main advice for people who who want to be in the games industry specifically which like by the way you mentioned that you were designing systems for a training thing in Unreal. That's just game design. Like you're just doing yeah. it. You're doing game design. So, you know, something to <laughs> I think because I want to be a producer. I went and got the Scrum Master certification and that uh, didn't help me at all so far. Other than yeah. I, I I don't have prioritize I, work very well now. Yeah. I don't have I don't have that. So Yeah. I heard I heard tell from a friend of mine that is a narrative designer. She was like yeah. Get Scrum Master, like game studios lose their shit over producers <laughs> who have that. And I was like, okay. The the person the person that I mentioned who's like absolutely phenomenal producer who came from outside the industry has a PMP. They're very smart. <laughs> but it, but anyway, I guess like uh yeah. I mean the the like general advice because now I'm like narrowing in on you and I'm like, let's think about it. let me show you show me your resume. I want to hear about this. Um, I'll send you my resume. My, you can look at it. <laughs> my more general advice is like you have to just keep applying and also like at a certain point if you want to make games you kind of just have to start making games regardless of of where you're at it's not easy to make a game but like access to the tools has kind of never been as sort of open and available to people which is like on some level is like a silly thing to say because like i certainly haven't worked on any like independent projects but i've also been working on you know big triple a stuff and it takes up all my time so like yeah i mean if you've got a passion for making games one of the best things that you can do is just start making games and maybe you don't end up in the triple a industry but like honestly it's a lot of stress <laughs> like but but i i do think that like if that's something that you're passionate about and really interested in like you just kind of have to keep doing it and it's gonna suck i can't tell you how many days I would either like be visiting my parents or just call my mom on the phone and I would just be like, I don't think this is going to happen for me. I don't know what to do. And like, 
my mom was great. She was always very supportive, but like, but, and yeah, I mean, I even had a family that was like, yeah, go study video games. And it was still really hard. So like, it's just hard. And I, 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 I can say that like, I and other people in the industry are trying to make it so that that pe- more people can get in. That's a whole other can of worms. But like, yeah, I really do. Like, I want I want more people to be able to like come into the industry and have an impact and use their voices. And you know, whether that's coming in as a producer and just like generally making life better for everyone, or if that's like as a creative and bringing some new amazing perspective to the industry, like. We still need it. We need it so badly, more than ever. Like every every studio, every publisher is so starved for content. It's like, okay, you want more content? Like, let's get more diverse folks in here. Let's get more perspectives. Let's increase the different places that we're pulling from and not try to just keep drawing from the same old wells over and over and over again. Bring your unique mind to the game, even if you have to try <laughs> over a hundred times to get into it. Mm-hmm. I exactly. think about my desire to work in games is like when Ariel sings, I want to be where the people are. I'm like, that's me. I just want to be where the action is. Just want to yeah, see I mean, the curtain. The <laughs> so funny. I'm sorry. I keep laughing. It's not, I promise it's not at your expense. Oh my I'm gosh, just, no. I'm just fine. thinking about like, honest to God, if people knew, I don't know. I think if people knew how like wildly chaotic and just, Game development. It's good for people to know. I think that's a problem in the games industry is like developers are so insular and like everyone has all these critiques of like games take too long. You know what I mean? And like if more people knew what the development process was like, that would probably be a good thing. Yeah, I think it's tough because, well, first of all, I mean, you see like even even the most recently with Bungie kind of saying like, hey, we're going to pull back a little bit because y'all keep threatening to kill us. You know, I think there's a lot of different cases where we have seen developers really like try and make an effort to kind of put themselves out there and, and share the development process and have really gotten some like pretty awful stuff in return happen to them. Now, did that bungee stuff also probably happen because it was a lot of like women and people of color and like gender and sexual minorities from Bungie talking about their game? Uh, yeah, that definitely is a factor. When diverse developers speak up, they get so much more hate and so much more garbage spewed at them but i do think that like yeah i wish i would i would love to be completely open about the development process with people and i i wish that like people were learning how video games are made like in school so that you know everybody understood what the different milestones for a game are and what the different roles are but the truth is is that it's still a really young medium. And honestly, like when I first started studying game development, like studios couldn't agree on like A, what a producer was or B, like if you should even have them at all. Nowadays, people understand that you need production, which is good. But yeah, it, it's still such a nascent industry. And yeah, I would love, I, I, I see the sparkle in people's eyes when they get to see just like what the process is of, of putting these things together. I think the documentary that they did raising Kratos for the God of War 2018 development is like a really good and earnest look at what game development is actually like. So I definitely recommend that for folks. But yeah, I I, I get what you mean. I, you know, I just think like, I'm very interested to see where the industry goes in the next five years, because there's just so many different factors, like having an impact on it right now. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. 
Absolutely. And I feel like that could be like a whole nother hour long conversation. (laughs) So we'll have to have you back on the show one day. We didn't even talk about Days Gone, which I was really looking forward to. <laughs> next time, next time. I, next TLDR, time. they should should have been lesbians in the 90s in Portland. Okay. The game would have been a thousand times better. The dream okay, of the 90s yes. is <laughs> alive in Portland. And I, I'm from Portland. I live there. I'm like here right now. So it's fucking perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because Bend is in Bend, Oregon, isn't it? That studio. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so, of course, they made it in their backyard. Yeah, just make it a little gay. That's all you need. Shayna, how can our listeners reach out and find you on the internet? So you can find me primarily. I'm very active on Twitter. My username is at Q-O-R-Q-U-I-Q. There's no story to that. I just made it up. And then uh, you can find me if you're like a game developer and you're like, ah, she seemed cool. You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, and then also uh, my personal website, which I do not use, but has some stuff on it about me is the moon is dot gay love it this is really fun i'm really glad i got to talk to y'all yeah bye shayna if you like what you're hearing please be sure to leave us a review on itunes or give us a rating on spotify and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts you can now find me in the cyberpunk lorecast channel with my co-host toasty and of course in our two girls one ship channel on the robots radio discord Come give us a follow on all the social medias, and you can find us by typing out the entire freaking words of patreon.com slash two girls, one ship. Links to those are in the description. I'm on the Robots Radio Discord as well, and on our own two girls, one ship Discord server, where we nerd out on all our favorite CGI significant others. Be sure to check out our live streams on Twitch on Wednesdays and Fridays, 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 7.30 p.m. Pacific Time, or watch the YouTube video a few days after the stream. Our podcast episodes release on Mondays, because you need at least one good thing on a Monday. So thanks for listening, and remember, beauty is in the eye of the controller. Ever wanted to be a content creator but had no clue where to begin? Come join me as I sit down with content creators that have already faced the challenges you're up against as they discuss the tips and tricks that help them be successful. Here on The Content Creator's Guide, available wherever podcasts can be found.